You are now listening to Soul Power to the People podcast with Tess Fregera. It's a podcast designed to bring awareness on intended or unintended crimes against humanity, how we can rise above it, claim our divine inheritance, and return the soul power to the people. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Soul Power to the People podcast. I am so excited that our guest today is Britain's fastest hypnotist. And this show, as you know, is not about blaming. We're just shedding light on what's really going on. We're calling out the crimes on humanity so that we can see what we're up against and also maybe look in deep within us what it is, what is inside of us that's bursting, that's trying to come out. Because I believe that you, soul-powered leaders, are the solution to what's going on in the world right now so that we can rise above against crime against humanity and return the soul power to the people. So Tim is Britain's fastest hypnotist. His name is TM Fizzicurly. I hope I didn't uh, butcher that. Close enough. <laughs> <laughs> so Tim, thank you so much for coming on the show. You're a hypnotist. Your focus is on addictions, compulsions, anxiety, trauma, self-worth. Yeah. And in today's upside down world, Give us an indicator. What, what are you noticing out there? Is it Did it skyrocket or is it under control? What, what do you think is going on in today's climate? Well, I've spoken to a lot of people who are in a similar line of work. And certainly, even over the last 10 years, most of them, I think, have no, anybody who's been in practice for a long time has noticed certain trends. And there's definitely more anxiety than there was. Obviously, what's gone on with COVID-19 has not really helped people because people are anxious now about all sorts of things that they weren't before. You know, whether they at the moment in the UK, because I'm in the UK, we've got a thing called furlough where people. Uh, the government is basically helping businesses out in order to keep people on the books in terms of paying wages and so forth. But that's due to end in a couple of months time. And lots of people are going to be very, very worried about losing their jobs, you know, how they're going to support their families, whether they're going to have to change jobs. But they're also concerned about, you know, parents, grandparents. They've been deprived of a lot of human contact. You know, we're social creatures. So there's all sorts of things just from COVID that have really, really affected people. And I think much of that is still to, is probably yet to be noticed. And the, the helplines for some of the mental health uh, charities and so forth, they, they've experienced a significant upsurge in, in the number of calls that they're getting. I think that as with many traumas, it's probable that once things start to settle, it's at that point that that maybe a lot of this is going to be noticed. But also there was an interesting study came out that that seemed to link COVID-19 and having had it with being more prone to anxiety as well. So there's all, there's, there, there are so many different things going on. And that's just with that, you know, that there's, there's all sorts of social things and political things going on. You know, obviously that happens all the time. But we're bathed in media constantly and news mm. reports and, and so on. And it's very difficult to get away from it unless somebody makes a conscious effort to do that. And it all has an effect. So 
there's a lot of, I think there are a lot, it would be fair to say there are a lot of anxious people and there are a lot of people with, you know, struggling with mental health problems. And that's really why I'm doing the job that I'm doing and why my, my, and why I've continued to do it. An expert came on the show and said, claimed that mental health crisis is the number one crisis right now in America. And so, Tim, what is it that you do? Um, how did you get started? Oh, and before you do that, why did you say yes to coming on the show? And what is the crime against humanity that you can't shut up about? Okay, what order do you want them, Tess? <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, right? Whatever comes to you first. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Well, let's start with why I got into hypnosis in the first place. I used to work as a computer analyst and programmer, and I didn't for a moment think that I would be doing this kind of a work. Um, 20 years ago, I was sat, at a sat behind a desk staring at a screen um, and coding. And, and I thought that I would do that probably until I dropped or retired. I probably would have dropped first. Um, and uh, But that wasn't what happened. Uh, life sometimes throws unexpected things in our path. Uh, <laughs> and that certainly happened to us. Um, my wife was born with a, a genetic condition, which should not have been a problem, and certainly not until she reached old age. Um, but... She went through a very stressful period of time at work, and that seemed to trigger this genetic problem. Um, anyway, the, the, the upshot was that 20 years ago now, we found ourselves in an office at a, at a hospital about 20 miles away from here, um, talking to a liver specialist, and the, the, this was a registrar, and he, he said, well, I'm a bit concerned about this. This does not look good. Um, so we went to get the um, head. Yeah, I think it was the head of, yes, he's the head of the department who walked in, took one look and said, I can't do anything with that. You need a liver transplant. And that was where things started to unravel. It, shortly after that, my wife became very, very ill. She was struggling to eat or drink. Uh, she got very, very emaciated. And the problem, it was the horrible catch 22 because she was they knew she needed a liver transplant but they also decided that because she'd lost so much weight and she was struggling to eat she was struggling to drink and that was because of the liver condition itself um she wasn't considered fit enough to have one so there was nothing they could do and they basically just sent her home today and that was so that was 20 years ago the um that was a horrible a horrible thing to face. You know, she was a young woman at the time. And so we started looking around at things that we could do. You know, how can we get you eating and drinking was the best, was the first question. Um, and what we realized was that this, this onset of these severe symptoms had been triggered primarily by stress, but it had a physical effect. I mean, her whole physiology had changed. You know, physically, she looked very, very different. So we thought, well, if that's if stress can do that, you know, maybe we need something that's like the opposite of that. And I'd also read a book as a chat as a, like a teenager about hypnosis being used on certain physical conditions. Um, and with some, it had been quite successful. So we thought, okay, well, we've got nothing to lose. Let's get on the phone, try and find a therapist. Well, we couldn't find anybody that we had any confidence in or that was prepared to take it on. So I said, okay, fair enough. I, what I will do, I'll go to the library, I'll get 
gather what books I can on this subject that I know nothing about, and I'll see if I can make a recording for you um, to listen to when I'm at work. And so I treated it like a literally like a computer programming job. Fortunately, once she started listening to it, it began to have an effect. And within about two weeks, she was eating and drinking more or less normally. She then spent um, a long time building herself up physically. And 13 months later, she had what turned out to be the first of several transplants. So she has she's very unusual in as much as she has been terminally ill three times, survived three times. You know, and we hope that those that that survival will continue. Um, so things are not straightforward even now, um, but it gave me an insight into a world that I knew nothing about. Uh, and so I decided that I would, you know, this was obviously useful stuff. So I said, okay, fair enough. I'll study it and learn to do it properly. And that was where it all began. But even having done that, I didn't really intend to go into the world of therapy. I don't even like the word. It was that that basically happened because I was having a lousy time at work. Um, I was needing a lot of time off for my wife. I was also looking after my mom who had an accident, was paralyzed from the chest down. And I thought, I can't I can't hold down a normal everyday job and be there for the people I care about. So that was how I ended up working in a hypnotherapy. And at first it was hard. It takes you a long time to build a reputation. From there... I went on to specialize in certain things just because I t- turned out I was good at them. Um, and that's that's basically where I am now. The, the reason, that, uh, you know, Britain's Fastest Hypnotist is a strange name for a hypnotherapist. It's the kind of name that you would typically associate with a, a stage performer, of which I don't do any. I mean, I, sometimes I'll do demonstrations, but I, but I don't do stage hypnosis. I don't do it for entertainment purposes. It is entirely used by me in order to help people straighten out problems that they deal with. And it's been, I, I literally cannot understand why everybody doesn't use it because of the things that it makes accessible in terms of treatment. Yeah, I, I uh, had to listen to self-hypnosis tapes too when I was in my dark night of the soul. I didn't know what was going on. I was I didn't mm-hmm. understand trauma back then. I had no idea where was my inner conflict coming from. And it was creating a lot of stress in me. And it was creating a lot of depression and I was spinning and, and really dark. I, I went really dark. The first few things that I did was order a self-hypnosis tape and I realized from listening to those self-hypnosis that I had a ton of fear. And a woman like me don't resonate with the word fear. Like I have a <laughs> disassociation with the word yeah. fear. Because if I knew uh, that I was afraid, I would do it. So it took that self-hypnosis. I really recommended to people uh, to please work with Tim because that's one of the first things that saved me from myself and I didn't know that I was lacking (laughs) self-worth that I was actually all bravado all all the confidence is just a pure surface just for people to see but deep inside I was deeply insecure uh, and deeply feeling unloved And in a big family where we are very loving, I didn't know where was lack, that lack of love was coming from. It was a self-abandonment 
or it was a, a fear of abandonment issue too. So a lot of that, and uh, that's why I invited you to the show is because I really believe in your work. There could be somebody 10 miles, literally 10 miles away from where you are who's very, very good at what they do. Mm-hmm. On my homepage, I've actually right down at the bottom, if anybody scrolls all the way down to the bottom, I've got a free audio. You can click on that and it tells you what to watch out for. The kinds of things that, the kinds of questions to ask, the things to look at in terms of a hypnotherapist advertising, so that you can make a fair assessment as to whether they are likely to be any good or not, or whether there should be alarm bells ringing. Yeah, I, I always encourage people to to go local if they can. It, I'm not averse to, to work, but it it often makes a lot of sense to see somebody who's local. While I appreciate the suggestion, I I think that you know it's only fair for me to say there are there are there great plenty, yeah. good mm-hmm. hypnotherapists out there. Yeah, I'm actually networked with a few other hypnotherapists. And they also don't like the the word hypnotist has been used for entertainment purposes. The reason I came on the show is because hypnosis is one of those things that people's typical exposure to it is what they see on film and television, maybe things that they've seen on stage. And those three things together give a completely distorted view of what hypnosis is. And they also tend to make people a bit, bit fearful. And it's, you know, it's not uncommon for me to open the door to a client. And the people, are, you know, I open the door and they, their knees are practically knocking. They've got so many misconceptions about hypnosis uh, and about seeing somebody who's skilled with hypnosis. So that's really why um, I like talking about it, because it's not what people think it is. And if people understand what it is, they're far more likely to use it in terms of seeking help. Mm-hmm. So that, that's really why it's, it's for me, it's about just educating people. Because when I got in, interested in it and I first became involved in it, I didn't know what it was. And I had all sorts of misconceptions. Clearing those up is one of the best things that as someone in my position, I think, can do. Because I, I teach hypnosis as well. Like I say, I've been fortunate. I've built a really good reputation. So I hope people will take on board that the, the things I'm saying about hypnosis are the, the right way to think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, as regards crime, hypnosis, and these two things sort of tie together. One of the things that I've worked on a great deal is, is things like eating disorders. And I started working on those. In t- well, actually, the first person I saw with an eating disorder, I saw about 2004. And that was an absolute disaster because I, I tried to treat this lady with bulimia nervosa the way I'd been trained. And that just did not work. And that really annoyed me. And it frustrates me. And I spent two years trying to figure out what I should have done that, that might have worked. Unfortunately, I came up with a way that works so well. I then from 2006 to 2012, I did nothing but correct anorexia and bulimia nervosa. But the reason that people end up with many of these problems it is partly cultural, it's partly media, and it's partly advertising. The two things, what, what I was going to say about hypnosis and people understanding what hypnosis really is, there's a lot in the, there's a lot in what advertisers do that is hypnotic. And if you don't know what hypnosis is, you're never going to spot it. It's shedding light on that, but also the if you look at countries where there is no advertising or there is no significant media, or or, or if you were to travel back in time to countries where that was the case, you'd find almost no examples of things like bulimia nervosa, where people are 
of this got horrible binging and purging cycle, which is just ghastly to live with. The, with the onset of the sort of mainstream media and widespread advertising, that creeps into society. That's what history has shown. It, similarly with things like alcoholism, because I work a lot with people who've got chronic alcohol problems. There are two, well, there, are, there are more than two strands to it, but the, there is a, a sort of trauma past experience strand, typically, but there's also all sorts of things that work against them. A lot of this, the social expectations surrounding alcohol, and a lot of that comes from advertising. When Christmas comes around in the UK, it's ad alcohol, 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 alcohol adverts, people partying, having a great time. You know, then what they're not showing on those adverts is people falling down drunk, being involved in car crashes, you know, doing things that destroy their marriages and so forth. They're not advertising that side of it. It's a very, very distorted picture. It's it's the way that hypnosis is built into advertising and also the media, but primarily advertising. And one of the things that is if you think about it, practically every advert you will ever see is designed to make you feel as though you are lacking, as though you, you are not attractive enough, not popular enough, not slim enough, and so on. All of these sorts of things, or that this is missing from your life. So everything that is pumped into our homes through the advertising media is basically about telling you that you aren't up to scratch and that has a cumulative effect and so that that's really what i see is but it's it's clear obviously it is not intended as as being harmful this is about businesses trying to fill the coffers and keep the shareholders happy and so forth but uh, on us as a people as a populace it definitely has a very adverse effect it, that is only going to get worse as time goes on yes it, it's really that and that like i said that's why i wanted to that's why i like educating people about hypnosis because i can talk about these things mm -hmm. and if you know what it is and if you understand some of the principles you can at least begin to guard against it yes yeah, so what i'm getting from that is we are actually humans are actually under a spell uh -huh. under hypnosis and they think they are in charge of their life, but they really are not because there's power of suggestions, there's the control and manipulation and all that that's in all this advertising embedded in it. So it's the power of suggestion that infiltrates our mind how we do life. You know, it's creating a lack where there isn't. So really, we are under hypnosis. Until we break free, until we wake up. Yeah, I, and and what and breaking free entirely is a very very difficult challenge. The thing with with suggestion, and we are all prone to it. Now that's something that I, again I would really like to talk about because a lot of people think you know I'm I'm a smart person, I'm not suggestible, and that is and pride gets in the way. Well, if they happen to come into my office, they'd very quickly find out that they are because the, the videos that I've got on the homepage show people many of them who thought they couldn't be hypnotized and 90 seconds later they can't get out of their chair you know that we are all suggestible and anybody who thinks that they aren't is just simply wrong you cannot have an education system 
unless people are suggestible, because what you do is you put children into classrooms, you suggest a particular version of reality, and then you wait for them to accept that so that you can then test them on it. Um, and, and, uh, and suggestion is more powerful than direct experience. If you think about it, um, what would be a good example? Okay, um, when children go to school, and this is probably going to be, um, you know, in their teenage years, they, they'll do a lesson where they first see what an atom looks like. And, and there'll be a science lesson, and, and at the front of the classroom, there's a teacher pointing at this diagram of what an atom looks like. And it's got a tiny little thing in the middle called a nucleus, which is apparently made from protons and neutrons. And then somewhere at a distance, you've got electrons whizzing around it, a bit like a mini solar system. And that's pretty much the way they'll describe it. Now, that is nearly all empty space. So it's like 99.999% empty space. But your senses tell you, I mean, if I pick up this phone, you know, that that is solid. It doesn't look as though it's 99.999% empty space. So even though our senses tell us that the world is solid around us, the children attending that lesson come out with a, a radically different view of what reality itself is composed of, that it's nearly all empty space. And so it flies in the face of common sense, but we accept it because it has been suggested and because of the way it's been suggested. So if you, uh, so, it, so when people are very, very highly educated, they've typically gone down one particular path. It might be, you know, e Egyptology, for example, you know, and somebody has spent years studying Egypt Egyptology. They reach a point where they view the world and the world's history in a very, very particular way. That's only possible because they are suggestible. The more highly qualified somebody is, the more suggestions they've been exposed to and accepted. That's the only way they would ever pass those exams. So it's, it's a weird thing. Lots of very, very intelligent um, and educated people have this smug idea, I'm not suggestible. The absolute reverse is true. Um, and so, again, that's one of those things that people just get wrong about hypnosis. Because hypnosis is about taking our natural level of suggestibility and using certain techniques to amplify it so that then you can use suggestion in particular ways. And you can do it in a therapeutic content uh, context. You can do it in a entertainment context, which is what the stage hypnotists would do. But you can also apply those principles to things like your news media state, your news media station, or your adverts. And advertisers absolutely use hypnotic principles. The, and the, the, but what they're doing is they're exploiting the fact that we are all suggestible. And if somebody doesn't think they are, in many ways, they are the most vulnerable of all. Because then they're not going, even if you tell them, that this is going on, they'll smugly think, ah, well, I'm not suggestible, so I don't need to worry about it. While at the same time, these suggestions are going to work on them, influencing their choices. You talked about children and you talked about school. We have another guest, well, a couple of them, but one really had my jaw wide open during the conversation because the indoctrination of children 
as early as pre-K on sex education, on gender uh, uh-huh. change, and it's all, and even race, critical race theory, it's all suggested. Look at what we're creating in the world right now. We're one ball of confusion. So where do we go from here? Well, like I said, the most important thing, I think, is to be aware of it. If your children are being taught things in school that you aren't happy with, then the best thing to do is to suggest things on the other side, to deconstruct it. I'm going to back up a little bit Mm -hmm. because I'll have to explain what hypnosis is, basically, for you to understand this. Okay, Mm -hmm. whenever anybody says something to you, you you predominantly, for the most part, you will critically analyse it in order to see if it makes sense. And as I've sat here talking, you'll have been doing that with some of the things that I've said. You know, do I agree with this? Does that make sense to me? Can I accept it? Well, you do that with your conscious mind. So basically what you're doing with your conscious mind is you're analyzing the information coming in that's being said or spoken, and you make a determination as to whether you believe it to be true or acceptable. So that's what your conscious mind does. Now, once your conscious mind has made that determination, if, that, if it passes that test, then it's passed back to your subconscious mind, at which point your subconscious mind updates what I would call your model of reality. Because we all of us maintain a, a representation of everything, ourselves, the world around us, the universe in which we live. We each of us model reality in our own unique way, and that is a construction. So it's it's um, it's unique to each individual, which is why you go on Twitter and find it doesn't really matter what the topic is. People will be having a go at each other, arguing about things. It's because they view reality in a completely different way. So they're almost so everybody models reality differently, um, mm-hmm. which of course means that it's almost a certainty you're modeling reality incorrectly. Um, because the chances of you being the only person who happens to model it correctly and everybody else is wrong, they're pretty slim. Um, So anyway, um, so this filtering process is done by your conscious mind. In order to change somebody's beliefs about something, what you need to do is to sidestep this filter because the only way that somebody can filter information and make an assessment as to whether they want to accept it is based on their current beliefs. So they'll match one thing against the other. So they're matching the things they already believe against the things that they're being told. If there is if there is a contradiction, they'll usually go, nah, not having that, not having that. And, and so it gets squelched. And so if that's been squelched, then there's no update to the way that we're modeling reality. But if if it's accepted, then the subconscious mind, which is the only part of your mind that knows how to do this, by the way, because you don't know how to do this consciously, will update the way you model reality. And that's the only thing it knows how to do when when something reaches it. It's going to use that piece of information and try to incorporate it into your understanding. So hypnosis is about bypassing that filter, basically. There are countless ways to do that. I, one of the, I've got one of the strangest hobbies in the world, perhaps. You know, I collect ways to do that, and I have for years. And I know at least 40 different ways to do that. Uh, and so it, you can, but you can use those ways of bypassing somebody's critical faculty. It's called the critical faculty of the conscious mind. You can bypass that in numerous ways. If you can do that, then you land the suggestions in the subconscious mind and you exploit the fact it's going to update the moral reality. So that's that's basically it. So that's what an adult will do. Uh, you ask the child the 
question about children, children do not develop that ability really in any significant sense until they're typically seven to nine years old. So prior to that, they are literally like an open book, absorbing information, just taking it in at face value, not critically analyzing it. They've got very little to compare it with anyway. They are very, very susceptible to suggestion, which is, which is one of the reasons why a lot of people will spend the first 50 years getting over the first five. You know, <laughs> it's because all of this horrendous programming sometimes has gone in and they are literally unable to defend themselves against it. As we get older, as long as, our, as long as we have a reasonably decent sense of who we are and of our capabilities and self-worth, we have at least some chance of defending against things that are critical. But children are not blessed with that. Uh, and so it takes some time to develop it. But if somebody already comes out of those first seven to nine years feeling pretty lousy about themselves, feeling very insecure, anything that then then would seem to support that conclusion is readily accepted. And so people tend to go you know, downhill over time. Yeah, so if you are a parent and the schools are saying things to your children that you're not happy with, the best thing to do is to deconstruct it. You know, to, obviously you need to be asking them what they're being told. If you ask them what they're being told, then you can start to pull it apart by showing them counter examples, counter arguments, the other side of the coin. And hopefully if you've got a good relationship with your children, you'll be able to do that. Uh, and they will listen to, you know, mom or dad or their, their, their guardian, whoever's looking after them. Yeah, obviously Hitler knew this, didn't he? With the with the Hitler Youth, there were children turning their own parents in. It's but he also had this idea of tell a lie loud enough and long enough, and sooner or later people will believe it. Mm -hmm. And you see that in the media all the time, being played out in the media constantly. The same thing just being trotted out over and over and over, over and over, and over but often with very little substance behind it. But that within hypnosis, that's called compounding, which basically mm -hmm. means the more times you suggest something, it's like it's like it's like, it's a bit like a, using a battering ram. It's just like it's just 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 keep hitting it until it gives. But the, these, you know, those are the kinds of things definitely to be aware of. But yeah, so in terms of education, the children are at their most suggestible in the sort of naught to seven to nine years old age range. Okay, yeah. So there, there's a lot there. Um and and that's why I was so horrified to hear pre-K already being indoctrinated on this gender movement that they have going on. And I'm not gonna get into that. If people are interested in listening to that, go back to my interview with Julie Quist on uh, crimes against children. So now you've demonstrated there where once we've been indoctrinated, once we've been hypnotized to believe that we're less than, you mentioned about bulimia, you mentioned about where the source of that is, the constant suggestion that we're not enough, that we we don't have it all, that we are broken. And then it manifests into those things that you mentioned, addiction. 
where does PTSD come in? Let, let's talk about PTSD. And I, I believe right now the whole world is experiencing some kind of PTSD with this constant yeah. yanking of information. and Yeah, absolutely. I would agree. And one of the things that I personally have not done for the last 11 years is regularly watch the news. In terms of in terms of news input, I limit it to about probably five minutes a day or less. I'll have a quick look at some suggestions on YouTube. But for the most part, if something important is going on, somebody will tell you. You don't need to sit and watch the news to know about it. But the news definitely makes people fearful. You know, that creates anxiety. And if you're watching all sorts of horrific things all the time, it's it's just a step away from being there and experiencing it yourself. So that's a kind of low-level repeated trauma, I would, I would suggest. I have worked with people for whom that has had a catastrophic effect. There was one lady I remember who she was struggling with obsessive-compulsive disorder. And this is going back to it's probably about 15 years ago since I saw this lady. Her obsessive-compulsive disorder had its roots in something that had happened at a party that she'd thrown. Whenever she heard a news item about something bad happening, and it didn't matter where it was or what it was, she thought she was responsible in some way. And that was a truly horrific way for somebody to live their life. Um, And it was because she was modeling reality in a particular way, and that model had been created by means of the experiences that she'd had and the things that she'd been taught and told and all the rest of it. There was a particular incident that really triggered it. You know, people working on newspapers, journalists, they're going to go out and visit all sorts of things constantly. They're going to be traumatized, no doubt about it. People are working the emergency services, dealing with all sorts of horrific things over and over and over again. They're dealing with trauma too. But we all are, to an extent, partly because of the things that we witness secondhand through the media, but also because of the things that have happened to us. And sometimes it's not necessarily something that we recognize as being traumatic either. It might just be something that causes us to look at reality in a particular way or to fear something. uh, and, And those kinds of things can happen almost at random. You know, mm-hmm. those are very difficult to guard against. Over the years, and this is one of the reasons why hypnosis has been so useful, I've done a lot of hypnotic regression with people, which is basically ta- um, sort of taking people back through their memories in order to re-experience something which caused a problem or seemed to be connected to the cause. And you've got to be very, very careful doing that. And, uh, and it is definitely not something to be undertaken lightly. And for the most part, I don't do it anymore uh, because I've found better ways to do those things. What, having spent a lot of time doing it, uh, I know from experience that very often the things that affect people the most on the surface don't seem that particularly significant. It's just that significance has been attached to them. And very often people are completely unaware of these things consciously. That's another reason why I think hypnotherapy is, is a useful tool mm-hmm. uh, because it's much easier to explore those kinds of things if you understand hypnosis than if you're doing something like counseling because a counselor have a clue where to start. 
you so there's there's that and i can't remember exactly what the question was but hopefully it was an interesting answer <laughs> <laughs> it was about ptsd but actually you tied it to what i was talking about earlier on my personal experience i was not beaten i was not you know severely punished as a kid i was not raped i was not or i was not sick even none of those traumatic significant events but I didn't understand what my source of inner conflict was. And you said it right there. You identified it for me. It's a low-level stress from the observation to something I was witnessing as a child. I experienced through observation chaos happening uh, growing up. And even though I was careful with how I lived life, I was too careful you know, it was, it was, it's yeah. like shut me down that I wouldn't allow myself to make a mistake. And if I did make a mistake, I would severely judge myself. And that was like inner hell for me. And you said it correctly. It's secondhand, uh, difficult to guard against. I just wanted to uh, share that for, uh, thank you for tying that to my initial story. Because a lot of us, we just want to create a good life we listened okay you go to school right <laughs> you get married you have children and then you have uh, the cinderella story but how come it didn't work <laughs> so anyway thank you for all that uh it's it's really eye-opening i hope everyone is uh seeing that we think we're on control but we're really not we're under suggestion and it happened from zero to seven, like you said, and it kept happening and happening and happening as we grew older because we, we collect evidence to support that map of reality that we established from zero to seven. In fact, if, uh, let's say in a family setting, if yelling at each other is their communication of love, you know, when you get married and, you know, that's how you also say, well, that's because I love you. That's why I'm yelling at you. It's because of that pattern and map of reality. But how do we take back control? How do we return to soul power? Um, for me, soul power is that wholeness, that society, that messaging, the advertising robbed us off. It's probably a good idea for me to talk about the study that I mentioned yes right okay so this was specifically on PTSD now one of the things that I quickly learned when I started using hypnosis was that it was not the be-all and end-all and that some things were difficult to treat and still are and I started looking around for better ways to do things the study that I mentioned in the stuff that I sent you beforehand um, relates to something that I actually personally created to help me out with my work, which was has been studied by a team of neuroscientists in Mexico. It was a, This was actually the pilot study for a much bigger study. The, the bigger study hasn't been published yet, but apparently the results are broadly comparable. So this was a relatively small study. They took, an, they took a number of people who had a clinical diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder. They exposed them to a 30-minute therapeutic intervention, which was on audio, and that was all. And at the end of the 30 minutes and the time that followed, they monitored the results in terms of people's you know, stress reactions or the rest of it. What they found was 
that this particular method worked for every single person on the study. And within, thir- within just 30 minutes of treatment, almost a third of the people no longer qualified for a PTSD diagnosis at all. And that is, that is absolutely unheard of. They had there, and, and I think because of that, they actually had a bit of trouble publishing this study because you know it is a very, very unexpected result. But like I said, they have done the bigger study as well. The results, from what I'm told, are basically the same, just on a much bigger scale. And they monitored the results over a longer period of time. Those tools are, are available through a company called Orpheus Mind Technologies. I'm currently working with them in collaboration. Um, and they collaborating in turn with the likes of Imperial College in London. And um, you know, the, there are two National Health Service trials uh, scheduled to begin here in the UK, not on PTSD, interestingly. Th- those are for other things that Orpheus has tools for. That shows you what can be done. So, the, yes, you could use hypnosis in order to, um, to resolve traumas. And there are various def- different techniques that a hypnotherapist could use in order to do that. Or if you don't want to talk about it, if somebody wants to, they can visit Orpheus Mind Technologies and, and try that for themselves. You know, they've got tools for all sorts of them. But the most important thing is perhaps just to recognize that it's, it's something that affects us all, at least to an extent. <sighs> yeah, yeah, just simply recognizing that we are all vulnerable is not really the right word. We all have some kind of exposure to things that sort of systematically traumatize us over time. And it's one of the things it's one of the things that feeds into the way we model reality, which is why some people become very, very scared of making a mistake. You talked about, you know, anxiety about making a mistake. And I've seen that with with uh, people who've got eating disorders. You know, typically they will try to reach a they have an idea of what constitutes perfect. And they will try really, really hard to be as close to perfect as they can be. But of course, that is an illusion and nobody can ever attain it. Uh, and the struggle to attain it is absolutely exhausting. And it, it causes all sorts of horrific problems for people. And, and actually at work years ago, when I was working as a computer analyst, I saw this fear of mistakes in action. There was a contractor had come in. Um, they'd done something which had fairly cataclysmic results you know this was an error the contractor lost their job as a consequence but the response from management was the next person who makes a mistake will also get the sack well you can imagine what productivity was like from that point on because everybody was double checking things triple checking things nothing got done because people were so terrified of making a mistake yeah, humans creativity too. Yeah, as human beings, we err and we we make mistakes, and it's from mistakes that we learn a lot. You can learn a lot from a mistake. The idea that that a mistake needs to be fearful it, it, that is a it's an incorrect way of looking at reality. It's better to think of a mistake as being a learning experience, something that you can then use in order to refine the way you do things, so that right. next time you're likely to do them better. You know, so again, that's about the way we model reality. There are two basic ways to look at things, you know, half full, half empty. But but there are also other much more subtle ways to look at things that might be more useful. Yeah, it could be going in for a job interview. If somebody goes in with the idea, I've got to get this job, you know, it's absolutely everything rests upon it. 
they're likely to go in with terrible nerves because they've piled everything. It's complete, you know, this is the most important thing that they've got going on. That's very different from going into a job interview thinking, do you know what, I'm going to go along to this interview. I'll be relaxed about it because whether I get this or not, I'm still going to learn from the process. And to be honest, really, maybe I should be checking them out as well because it may not be the best possible job in the world. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the two completely different ways of going into something. And, and so often the frame that you put on things will make a difference to your emotional response to it. But if we could back up and talk about advertisers, you'll have noticed when you when you watch television adverts, you often get things that seem completely unrelated. So this might be an advert for washing powder, but you'll see dancing squirrels or something. You know, it, it's it, it's those kinds of things. There's a sort of juxtaposition going on. And you think you're watching it and you think, what on earth has that got to do with this? And that is the whole point. It has nothing to do with it. What it's doing is it is distracting your conscious mind so that they can then go in with the suggestion to buy their washing powder or to do, you know, to, to do this or whatever. Now, one suggestion is not likely to make you change your mind, but the more you become exposed to that, it, the more it likely is that it will influence you. Now, obviously, they can't continually surprise you with the same things all the time. So there's a rotation in terms of adverts, and they'll do different things. You know, so the, the theme might be there, but they'll do things in different ways to keep it fresh so they continue to distract the conscious mind whilst going in telling you you, you aren't enough unless you've, bought this <laughs> unless you've bought this product. So that's something to watch out for. And if you see that, that is a hypnotic principle being used in action. I'm going to bring you to COVID because one, I have, uh, I want to pick your brain on something that when, when you were talking about afraid of making a mistake, this is what came to me. Well, before I get there, um, one is, you know, the advertising, advertising to, you know, roll up your sleeves and get the jab, right? So now there are information coming out there that it may or may not be the best for you. So, I, you know, this is all about your choice. For me, it's your choice. It's when it's uh, forced down on someone like me that believe in my own body's immune system to fight the virus that that's not okay. So now I'm hearing reports that there's a transmission going on from the vaccinated to the unvaccinated. I am now faced with that fear and I don't want that fear. You know, I don't want the fear of checking, are you vaccinated? <laughs> you know, do I come near you? Do I give you a hug? Are you going to transmit something that I don't want in my body? So I don't want to fall prey and fall victim to that because that again who knows? That's another suggestion. So what do you uh -huh. suggest I do to raise my level of awareness, raise my consciousness, raise my frequency? Okay. The most sensible thing to do is to seek information from both sides of any argument. Because if you do that, then you balance things up. I'm, I'm absolutely by no means anti-vaccination. Anti I've had one. My wife's had one. She needs the, she's a multiple transplantee. For us, it was the right choice. Um, 
But everybody needs to make their own decisions. And the only way you can make a decision which has any chance of being valid is to, is to look at arguments on both sides of any discussion. You know, whether it's, whether it's vaccines, whether it's evolution versus creation, those sorts of things, or, or things that are even smaller. If you only expose yourself to one source of information telling you one thing, there's only one thing that's going to happen. That's, that, I think, is the best defense, is firstly to understand that you are suggestible. Every suggestion that comes your way, if you accept it, and you do have a choice, by the way, you can choose whether to accept a suggestion because you can critically analyze things in more than one way. But the best way to put yourself in a position of not being unduly influenced is to seek out opinion on all sides. If it's something that is important to you. Now, obviously, you can't do that with absolutely everything. because no, it would especially be with the censorship right now. It's, it's really high. But it would also be exhausting because we're exposed to so much information. You know, we live in an yeah. information age. And so we're bombarded with more information than any human beings have ever been, as far as we're aware. If it's something that's important, then definitely look at what other people have to say. Uh, but you need to give it equal time as well. You know, so if on this side of the coin, somebody, you know, you've watched an hour of this, somebody telling you this, really, you should look at somebody telling you the exact opposite if you can find it for the same amount of time to balance things up. And then yes. at that point, you are much more likely to be able to make an informed decision. Like Otherwise, that. you are completely at the mercy, I suppose, is sort of the right word, of the people to whom you have listened. So it's about balance. It, it, but it's easiest to do that once you understand that your entire belief set is a construction. But it is not reality. It's a bit like the way we view the world is a bit like looking through a, a, a pipe or a tube. We see it in a very, very narrow mm -hmm. sense. And if you want to understand what reality is all about, then really you need to be pointing it in different directions. And the only way you can do that is by gathering information from all sorts of different sources. That is the best way. It is the only way, really, that you can avoid being heavily influenced in one particular direction. But if you're quite happy with the beliefs that you've got and they're working for you and you're not anxious, you're not stressed, why bother? Yeah, the, I think the best judgment that you can make in terms of the things that you accept when you use this critical faculty is not, is it right or is it wrong or is it true, is it false? It's, does that work for me? If I accept that, will it make me happy? Mm -hmm. If I accept that, will it allow me to do things that I haven't done before? Mm -hmm. um, and that's a much better way to use your critical analysis. Because once you, once you realize that the way you model reality cannot be trusted, And, and it can't be because everybody models reality differently. Then the question that arises is, am I happy with the way that I view reality and myself? And if the answer is no, then you might just as well change it because it's not right. working for you. Right. And so that's, that's really the whole essence of my work with, with people, whether they've got eating disorders, chronic alcohol problems. Yeah, every, people do things for a reason. That reason is unlikely to be connected to alcohol and it's unlikely to be connected to food 
it's usually about them as a person and the way they're feeling, the things that they are anxious about, the guilt and burdens that they're carrying around, the things that have happened to them in the past that are still echoing through their minds. Those are the kinds of things that I will typically work on mm-hmm. um, before I ever go near looking at alcohol or looking at food. And that's proven to be a very successful strategy. But all of those things are part of the way that person's modeling reality, uh, primarily about themselves. Yeah, it, like I said, the, the most important thing is, is to just really get, get it's for everybody who's listening to get their heads around that, which is that the beliefs you have are an invention. They seem real, but they aren't. If, right. they, if they weren't, they would be the same as everybody else's. But everybody thinks about things in completely different ways. And like I said, Twitter is the perfect example of that. It is the most incredibly hostile place. You could possibly hope to go. You could express any opinion and somebody will tell you how stupid you are. You know, that it's a, it's a wonderful insight into just how different we mod, how differently we model reality. I love it. I love uh, how you said, listen to both sides. And then uh, from there, you know, when, once we neutralize the resistance to either one side or the other, uh, I think we can come uh, to a better place of understanding and decision and choice also. So thank you for that. Uh, any final words before I let you go? Yes, two things. The first is, is, is not to be anxious about seeing a hypnotherapist. Because mm. uh, like I say, people get completely the wrong idea about it. They expect not to be aware of what's going on. And that is simply just not the case. You can think of it as a case of heightened awareness. Um, and it really is. The other thing I think is probably, I mentioned Orpheus Mind Technologies. And if somebody really, really wants to, uh, to deal with an anxiety quickly and easily, and maybe it's something they don't want to talk about, then it's worth checking their site out as well. Because like I say, it's it's... It's anonymous. As far as the evidence goes, it works quickly. I use those tools in my office all the time with people. So that's something that, that you could explore. But, it, but otherwise, just be open to the idea of hypnosis and hypnotherapy. Uh, there's, I think every business should have a hypnotherapist. Any sizable business should try getting a hypnotherapist in and compare the results they get from them with the people that they're currently bringing in. And I think they would be absolutely astonished at the difference. It's not to influence uh, the person, yeah, but rather to, to provide provide uh, an outlet, uh, like a counselor, to yeah, so that's, release that's, baggage. Yeah, exactly. So if somebody is struggling with things and the, and the business would ordinarily provide counseling, mm-hmm. I think, Many businesses would benefit from employing hypnotherapists, even if it's only on a trial basis, and just see what the difference is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it has to be an, at an arm's length because I do that with uh, executives and leaders, right? So I don't necessarily work for the corporation, I work yeah. for my clients and how to uh-huh. do uh, best for their work, for their performance, uh, and for their highest good. Um, I have to have my alliance on my client rather than the corporation. Exactly. And that's exactly the way it should be. And if it flourishes their career and uh, the corporation that they're working for, great. But it has to be their decision. It has to be in alignment with them. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Where can people get a hold of you? Well, I'm really easy to find. Um, If you just go to Google and type in Britain's fastest hypnotist, you'll find my site. 
And like I said, the, if you go, there are some interesting videos on there from clients that I've worked with. If you scroll down to the bottom of that homepage, there's a free guide. It's about 19 minutes of audio. It tells you exactly how to assess any prospective hypnotherapist as to whether they're likely to be good or terrible. And there are there, there's some brilliant ones, but there are unfortunately some terrible ones. You don't want to see a terrible one. <laughs> you do want to see a good one. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. No, I'm, I'm really impressed with uh, your bio, with everything that you've done and the, uh, the length of time you've been doing this. Plus, oh my God, for you to be able to influence your wife to even uh, get here, you know, because a lot of people would just be so afraid to even try new things and just believe that it's the end of the world. Yeah. Um, well, the so is, kudos to you and your wife for uh, trying something new. Yeah, well, the, I, I think kudos to my wife and kudos to the surgeons and the, the people that have helped her to, to, to deal with these things. But survival is a, is a lot of it is about mindset. And that's one of the reasons why I've become so interested in it. You know, surviving three terminal illnesses really takes some doing. Mindset, if, you get, if you get your mind in the right place, she what showed you can achieve, there's no limit to it. Yes. 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 All right, Tim, I'm going to let you go. Thank you so much for joining this It's been episode. an absolute pleasure, Tess. Thank and you very much. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Soul Power to the People podcast with Tess Vergara. We can no longer be the spectators of our own destruction. Take back your mind. Take back your voice, take back your soul, take back your power. Join me again next time for the next episode of Soul Power to the People.